Hello, my name is Philip Mendoza-Vieta. And my name is Max Weitzman, and this is the App Canary Podcast. Today, we'll be talking about... The Intercept and Reality Winner, and the Citizen Lab's Tainted Leaks Report. Tell me about Reality Winner. Okay, so... Tell me if you've heard this one. Stop me if you've heard this one before. But some contractor at the NSA decided that, like, maybe the U.S. government was engaged in wide-scale immoral activities and decided to do something about it. So they grabbed some documents at work and gave it to some journalists. This is the part where I should have maybe read up a little bit more on what her what her actual deal was. Oh, do you not know what the documents were? Oh, I don't even remember because I've read about, like, oh. the fallout, right? Oh, that's... Because it's really hard to keep track of all the stuff that gets leaked by The Intercept, right? Because there's kind of like every... If you tell me like, oh, no, the NSA is like, knows how much you poop every week. I'm like, ugh, geez, I guess. I think you might be a little surprised to know what documents this actually was. So just to give the broad kind of context, she leaked some documents to The Intercept and has now been arrested. Mm Mm-hmm. And she was caught due to some combination of possibly printer dots, which we're going to get into a little bit later, or just the fact that uh, the NSA looked at who emailed the intercept. Yeah. So that that part that part is what I what yeah. I read up in, in detail. The document that she leaked was actually not the NSA engaging in any sort of uh, immoral or criminal activity. Uh, what she leaked to the intercept was a government report about Russia election hacking. Fun. Jeremy Scahill and Glenn Greenwald deny this description of events. Uh, But the way that I've heard it told is that they... uh, So if you ever listen to the Intercepted podcast, Glenn Greenwald is a little bit blasé about Russia hacking the U.S. election for a variety of legitimate reasons, um, mostly because there isn't really... There isn't strong evidence that anyone from Russia was, you know, hacking voter machines and changing voter rolls in Wisconsin. They had an episode where they talked about that. Reality winner, and this is part of the reason that she was caught, emailed The Intercept asking for a transcript of that podcast. And sometimes later, somebody who uh, pretty much everybody believes to be a reality winner sent The Intercept a document showing that the NSA believes that Russia like tried to hack U.S. voting machine software companies. Amazing. Uh, so it wasn't the NSA being right. uh, evil. It was, uh, here's proof that Russia did something bad. Hey, Glenn. Check it out. I know for ideological reasons, because there's like this kind of schism. It's not a schism, but like some people on the left are like, "Ugh, this Russophobia is like a distraction." Yeah, and some some of them are pretty intelligent about it. There's other people I can call out Yasha Levine as being like especially stupid about this, Mm -hmm. uh, where he just broadly dismisses any sort of attribution as like, "Oh, they figured out that the hackers were working during Moscow time. That's not evidence of anything. It could have been a kid. Hackers like to stay up late at night." I mean, if someone works nine to five Moscow time and doesn't work weekends, you know, probably not a kid. No, but you see, hackers they they all stay up late at night. Right, right. They don't have families. Yeah, they just emerge from their tanks, fully formed, uh, ready to keep going at it. All right. Uh, I did not. I I yeah. I I totally forgot about those details. That's great because what I read about really focused on like the tradecraft aspects Mm -hmm. of it. Um, and so what Rally Winner did is that. She grabbed this document, she printed it out, and then snuck out of the building with it, which is, like, legit. Okay, I guess that happens. They're not, like, strip-searched every day. Um, And then mailed it to them, right? Just shoved Mm -hmm. it in the thing, mailed it off. And then um, the Intercept had to confirm the veracity of it, right? Because you get a random document in the mail, you're like, okay, well, 
what is this? Is this some like manifesto that someone wrote and made it look like an NSA template? You never know, right? And so they take it, uh, they scan it back in, I guess, and then they literally email it to the NSA and be like, yo, is this legit? Uh, what should we hide? What should we obfuscate? And they have this negotiation where they confirm the contents of it and and return for like obscuring any like informationally sensitive details before they publish the document, etc. Um, and so one aspect, so shortly after the document was published on the internet, the NSA had a press op about how like we found the leaker and then she's being swiftly punished uh, almost immediately. As soon as the story broke, they announced that they found her, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so this gave confluence to like a couple different aspects. One is that like the omnipotent NSA immediately like pounced. And two, um, a lot of people being like, okay, you know, guys, you know that printers like embed these invisible yellow dots on everything you print so you end up having this indelible log with everything that happens out that you can easily look up or trace back um and then they you know swiftly showed on how because uh the intercept publishes the entire document they show like hey here's here's these dots right this is like a nerd fact that you should have been aware of um and so, so tell me about the dots I remember first encountering the dots in like when I was a young whippersnapper and maybe like the mid aughts, right? Where like some Cory Doctorow blog post, because uh, Cory has been doing this forever for one eternity, uh, was like, oh, these new printers are like curtailing your uh, privacy. So basically, you can insert a bit of metadata into documents um, automatically on every document. It probably says the time, the date, the username. Uh, this is just me imagining going off of it. And so I think the, it's the printer serial ID and the so, time. Yeah, that too. Because it's done in hardware. Yeah. Uh, and then you have the whole, like, how, like, in Soviet Russia, every typewriter had a serial number or something along those lines. There's a throwback to that. Let's not get into mm -hmm. that. But the point that's relevant to this is that the Gruck had... Is that, do, we, do we have a pronunciation for the Gruck? You know who I'm talking I about. I call him the Grug, but I don't know. Uh, you can find a talk of his uh, right. at some conference. So, the Gruck. Yeah, uh, whatever. So, the Gruck had this like bit of analysis where he goes over like the whatever trade he builds a timeline and whatever trade flaws tradecraft flaws may have actually occurred mm -hmm. um and his conclusion is that the metadata dots are a red herring because they didn't actually need it to track her down and basically the timeline he sets out is something along the lines of reality winner leaks these documents submits it to the journalist the journalists confirm it the intercept goes to the NSA and says yo Someone mailed this to us from Georgia. Here's a complete scan of the document. Can you confirm if it's legit or not? Right? And so the NSA looks up everyone who printed this document, even though like thousands of people had access to it, only six people had printed it ever. Mm -hmm. And then they just, and then they looked into everyone who'd printed it. And the one person from Georgia had also happened to have emailed the intercept. So, so the intercept made a couple of mistakes here. Right, so they they made a mistake in sending the document to the NSA without uh, without obscuring the printer dots, or even sending the document at all, because you can also send just like a summary of it. Basically, you should have they should have retyped it. They they should have retyped it, right? Okay, so they made that mistake. They also made the mistake of um, showing allowing their NSA source to see the postmark was from Georgia. But suppose that they hadn't. Suppose that they hadn't made either either of those two mistakes. There still would have been six people that had printed it, right? right? Like it's not like it would have been that much harder for the NSA to find exactly reality winner. And there was that thing about how she emailed the intercepts. Did she do it from work or something like that? I don't know. 
Yeah. It's not clear how they knew that she'd done the email. But it, it came out in like some affidavit. But if there's six people, like... But basically, the, the point of this timeline is that by the time mm-hmm. it actually got published, she'd already been rolled up. Because there's like a, a mm-hmm. lead wave of like three to four weeks during which they just conducted the investigation. And then she confessed while she was being investigated. And like, Bob's your uncle. I guess the, the question I want to ask is, clearly The Intercept made um, made some mistakes. Had they done everything perfectly, would she still have been caught? Probably. So he points to some like tradecraft errors that she made, like mm-hmm. she should not have printed it out. She should not have. She should not have sent the whole document in the first place. She should have built a relationship with them first. Like he goes into a little bit how like journalists have different ethics mm-hmm. and their incentives are not aligned with yours. I guess this is most like vividly captured by like Janet Malcolm in like. Um, that New Yorker story? Uh, New Yorker story that she made into a book, uh, Murder and something, something. The Murder and the Journalist were mm-hmm. basically uh, the conclusion that journalists will always betray the interests of whoever they're talking to because they want to get a story out. And mm-hmm. like what the story looks like does, has no bearing necessarily on like the interest of the person telling them the story. Anyways, uh, they, they're duty-bound to confirm the contents of whatever you leak to them. And so you have to like be very careful in what you actually give the journalists because they're limited in the ways that they can actually protect you. Um, and so in this case, should not have sent the whole document, should not have printed it, should not have talked about it, should have compartmentalized her interactions with them, period, um, and ideally tried to form a, a longer lasting relation, a, you know, pseudonymous relationship such that they would be more incentivized to try to like protect her. Yeah. I mean, I think that one good that can come out of this is I would like to see The Intercept has good guides about how to leak to them that, you know, talk about using Tor and Signal and stuff. I would like to see good guides about how to make it harder for the government agency that you work for to catch you. Yeah. How to, um, you know, that you should retype documents or get rid of um, de-anonymizing information in them in any way that you can. But I, I really have no idea. Like, I wouldn't know... Uh, fortunately, I don't have access to any secrets. That uh, <laughs> I have nothing to betray. Yeah, uh, really that's a handy. great because if I did, I wouldn't know how to do it. I have no interest in betraying anything for yeah. the record. And so, like the Gruck kind of makes this point out that like one other mistake she did is just she rolled right. She should have gotten a lawyer and not said a word because they could have they did not have a hundred percent proof on her, and so it's possible that she would have lost her job but not gone to jail, which is like. If I had to pick between those two, I would. Yeah. I would prefer losing my security clearance. I feel like over... that essay. I feel like that essay is going to be really good at interrogating you. Yes, uh, they'll have a way, but you know, confessing is like never. Regardless of what you do, just confessing is always a bad idea. But that's another story. Maybe hey, who knows what actually happened? But it's possible that like when you're going up against your a state actor, mm-hmm. you're going to lose but you can minimize the ways in which they screw you. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of like his takeaway. I mean, mm-hmm. like, maybe it's possible. It's not possible to securely leak something, but it might be possible to contain the damage that they can actually do to you by, like, having plausible deniability or, like, et cetera. Yeah. And the other thing is that, you know, Chelsea Manning is now out for... How long has she been out for? Like, maybe a month? <sighs> yeah, like a couple Very, months, maybe. Yeah. Things seem to be going really well for her. Yeah. And that's amazing uh one of those one of the things that obama did that i'm really happy about i don't think that reality winner is going to have the same uh fate because Quite a redeeming story because chelsea manning like leaked really important things that i think changed the conversation in a way that this random nsa report about russia hacking 
didn't amount to much. Like yeah. it didn't tell anyone anything that they didn't already know <laughs> in a way that collateral murder was groundbreaking and shocking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you're going to do it, like get some juicier stuff, maybe. Yeah. Tricky. Tricky yeah. that. I mean, I think that Chelsea Manning knew what she was doing and my understanding was that she was ready to go to jail for what she was doing. Uh, I don't think that reality winner feels the same way, but I mean, maybe she does. Maybe she'll write a manifesto and we'll find out. Yeah. There's an interesting segue here because you talked about how journalists have to, uh, they have to verify with the source that some leaked documents is legitimate. Mm. This brings us to a very interesting Citizen Lab report about uh, tainted leaks. So So what is a tainted leak, Max? Somebody leaks information uh, like leaks documents, but specifically add disinformation inside of the leaks. They discovered a very interesting case of this happening to a specific journalist. And then from there, they found a like broader campaign of phishing that they attribute to Russia against a lot of different people. Hmm. Uh, so I'm going to just tell the story. I'm going to try to get his name correct. But so, so they claim this is like, because what you just described is like, I'm pretty sure there's like three John Le Carre novels where that I've read where like that's a feature where like they're being some spies being fed this info by the competing spy agency that has been disseminated by journalists, etc. Yeah. So uh, the way the story works out is that there's this journalist called David Satter, I think is how you'd pronounce it. And David Satter is a journalist that has been writing about Russia for a long time. Um, And the thing that really uh, pissed off the Russians and made it so that he can't enter the country anymore is that he wrote a book about the 1999 apartment bombing. Oh, yeah. Which uh, is, there was a series of apartment bombings that led to the Second Chechen War that a lot of uh, credible people believe may have been not done by Chechen terrorists, but instead by Russian security services. There's like a medium quality This American Life on this, I believe, Mm -hmm. that came out recently. So David Satter was fished in like October of last year. And a bunch of documents from his computer were leaked, including a bunch of like just random reports from uh, like OTF and Radio for Europe and those kinds of organizations that he's involved with. The Open Technology Fund. Gotcha. So these are all American funded organizations whose mission is to... um, Promote openness and democracy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And... Largely, these are holdovers from uh, like U.S. soft power as uh, used against the Soviet Union. So like Radio Free Europe and Radio Free Asia existed in order to blast like pro-capitalism propaganda into communist countries. Now, like the great game is somewhat different, but these organizations still exist and are like considered big bad. Like in the same way that you joked about George Soros in contemporary Russia, like Radio Free Asia and Radio Free Europe are seen as like big, bad American propaganda. So when these documents were leaked, uh, whoever leaked them, they actually changed the text of the word document. And they like changed around some paragraphs to make this like what was a like campaign of like translating articles about Russia, like writing about Russia into seeming uh, seeming as like it was something more ominous. And they specifically added articles by Navalny who's a like a like a yeah, famous opposition Russian. yeah he's like a famous russian opposition person so they, there was like a list of articles that was like that were written by members of this organization and they just like added a bunch of hits uh in order to then make the point that like look navalny is like paid for by the americans and all of this like all of this stuff that he's revealing about 
Putin's daughter being uh, involved in some weird shenanigans with a like innovation center in Moscow State University. That's all just like American propaganda. Right. So this is the equivalent of like someone steals all your email. Mm-hmm. And inside these emails, there's like a contract with some like nefarious like fund that funds all sorts of other activities. And deep within the contract, there's like the protocols of the elders of Zion as like an appendix that you must follow. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So it comes out that like you're actually being paid to implement the protocols of the elders of Zion, right? When in reality, it's just like something totally. Yeah. In reality, you like signed some like lease with your landlord and like that document was just doctored. Um, so this was released on some like Russia associated leak site. And then for the internal propaganda, they wrote about all about how like, look, these like opposition journalists are obviously being paid by the Americans. I feel like this is new. The way that it's like very much weaponized as propaganda mm-hmm. um, is a little bit different than the John Le Carre. And just like straight up disinfo campaigns. Um, I believe the same thing happened with the uh, Macron hacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's something like they, they released fake Macron emails or like legit emails with some fake stuff. So what's the connection here? So like this guy's like, he, he gets his shit leaked mm-hmm. and, and he's like, wait a minute. That document's not correct. Yep. So they got the original documents because these documents aren't secrets. It's yeah, like yeah, yeah. it's like some organization's internal memo. Like so, they just got the original document and diff them. Yeah. And they saw like and it would it's stuff like individual sentences are changed. There was uh, one that I thought was really funny was that there was a paragraph about how like this translation work had to be put on hold because our translator was busy working on a book, and that paragraph was cut because it like shows just how small this operation is that's being. Uh, made out to be something much bigger and more yeah. ominous. One dude gets the flu and then the whole thing's put on yeah. pause for three weeks, right? Right. So like they, they kind of have to get rid of stuff like that. Also, there were a couple, there are a couple situations where I noticed like there was something that looked like a typo or a grammar error in the original that was fixed by the leakers, which I thought was very cute. <laughs> um, then Citizen Lab went on to, um, they noticed this phishing attack used a URL shortener so you'd get a link that looks like, uh, hello, this is Google. Somebody tried to hack your account. Click here to change your password. And that would go through a URL shortener. And what Citizen Lab found was the URL shortener that they used TinyCC. This is the one where they reverse, this is the one where they reverse the, um, the hashing scheme, right? Not quite. Uh, what they found was that the hash, well, sort of, yes. The hashing scheme was sequential. Mm-hmm. The shortened URL would be like some, like six, letters and numbers and they found that those were actually sequential in a way and so they could measure distance between like if two links were shortened one after the other they would be very close to each other in the sequence so they just like iterated through the sequence and found a bunch of other links and from this they were able to find and the links were customized to you so like when you clicked on um when you clicked on one of these phishing uh, emails you'd open up a page that looks like your google reset password link and it actually like is customized to you and that it says hello max vaitsman your email is this like click here to and, reset your password and they just pass that out either through like the get parameter or it's just yep. encoded somewhere exactly it was in the get parameter so by iterating through the short the shortened links and expanding them into where it actually would go they could find a list of all the people that were targeted and I'm gonna, let's see if I can pull up a nice graph. It was like a ton of people. I'm just gonna read a little bit of it. Uh, so there was a former Russian prime minister. There was the uh, director general of the Afghan MFA. There's a Turkish military attache. These are all Russia and Eurasia. There's like ministers of defense in Europe. 
There's uh, Australian ambassadors, a former deputy United uh, Undersecretary of Defense in the U.S., a lot of reporters, uh, Kremlin critic David Satter, obviously, a CEO of a U.K. oil company. Like, this is just a really wide swath of people in the military and industry and government across the world. I did notice that there was nobody from Canada, at least that they found. One of them is the CEO of a UK slash Canadian oil company. What's a UK Canadian oil company? I don't know. There's like a lot of them. Yeah. Well, the reason I said, so, so uh, the, re the reason that I said there's no one from Canada is that they have this like map. Yeah. They would have said uh, something. Point is. Yeah. Because they're, they're Canadian and they have this map and yeah. Canada is black on the map. Okay. So this is really widespread. So basically like whenever you hear someone railing about the elites, this is literally who they target. It'd be like anyone who's like has executive or powerful positions that like knowing the contents of their emails would be useful in some like broad and nefarious mm -hmm. way. So, so you know, like that, there's that famous uh, quote that like, give me, give me six lines written by the most honest of men and like I'll find within them I'll find something to hang them for. It's Cardinal like, Richelieu. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. And like this, you don't even need that. They don't even need to be. It doesn't matter. It's like so long as you can credibly post that like these these six lines were probably written. Yeah. Uh, by the most honest man, you don't even have to go fishing that much. You just insert whatever you want. Exactly. You can, um, and especially because you're hanging them in the court of public opinion. Right. So it's so what's really cool about this is like all all the helping this one guy out go through like what the hell's going on to them reveal this much larger yeah. uh dedicated phishing campaign that just targeted huge swaths uh through a neat technical hack where they like figured out that it's a sequential id system yeah so that was pretty cool part of what they went into is so there's um there's something called apt 28 advanced persistent threat 28 which is also known as fancy bear because the dumbasses that make up these names like to use the word bear to mean russia they also use like so fancy i think was like one of their names yeah, yeah. they found uh at least i noticed two different links uh one is that there was a shared ip address between uh what's been uh the john podesta hacks that were attributed to apt uh 28 and they found that um, one of those shortened links seemed to be a test that was done with like one of the attackers emails like just to like test out their system they use their own email and their own avatar and they found that that was also used in the like the john podesta hack uh in the john podesta hack they similarly uh enumerated the url shortener and found a bunch of different uh people un attacked by the same group huh so it seems to be the same group wild yeah that's a messed up job if you're like hey you're a smart hacker person you like we caught you trying to like steal some credit cards instead of going to jail would you like to do do more of that full time yeah um, it's like a tv show yeah it's straight out of the graduate or is the graduate the one of the cia where he gets no never mind. no scratch that the entirely. graduate is the one Leave where he sleeps with mrs robinson what am i thinking about i'm not thinking straight so yeah forget that one. um but yeah no that's exactly it is a lot of these are i mean i have no idea what the people in citizen lab say is that a lot of these people in russia are like criminal gangs that are kind of given a free reign to do whatever they want as long as it roughly aligns with the interests of the US, the Russian security services. Also, the Russian security services, because like you notice that 11% uh, of these phishing attacks are against people in Russia. Right. The Russian security services have a tendency to go after each other as much as they're going after anyone else. Yeah. Okay. I can see yeah. that. Yeah. So, and th that line reminds me of like there was this. I think BuzzFeed report recently about um, how the British security services are basically letting Russia, Russian mobs uh, act with impunity 
uh, because they've they found like twelve different people who were murdered in the UK, um, who are all like critics of the regime, uh, and they're kind of turning a blind eye and classifying these as like uh, suicides. There's one guy who like was stabbed twice, uh, like stabbed in several locations and like partly in the neck and partly uh, in somewhere else, and he was ruled a suicide. And people were like, one suicide by knife almost never happens. Two, you do it once and then bleed out to death. You don't stab yourself repeatedly because stabbing yeah. hurts. I think there's even a more ridiculous case where a guy was found inside like a locked bit of luggage. Uh, but I, I, I may have been, I'm maybe mixing like different, different pieces. No, no, entirely. Okay. But it's just like it's just like oh, this is some kind of autoerotic asphyxiation that he's in a duffel bag. <laughs> you like, mm, I don't know, but that yeah. might be the same story. But anyways, so. I, I didn't read that full story. Why do they think, uh, is it to avoid an international incident or is it because they're hoping to get someone bigger by letting these people uh, do what they want? Yeah, I think it's just there's a lot of rich Russians that they don't want to rock the boat too much for mm. because a lot of like London is powered by like all this oil money that's escaping. Yeah, like a lot of Russian real, uh, sorry, a lot of Russians will buy real estate in London. Yeah. Um, but I've not actually read enough of that article. It's just something that came up. Mm-hmm. Be like, oh yeah, the Brits are turning a blind eye. Well, they just murder people. So before we move off of this topic, there's another great BuzzFeed that I read today. Did you know that uh, a bunch of CIA agents and contractors were recently fired because they stole over three thousand dollars from vending machines? No. They uh, they had this neat hack where they uh, I guess you use some kind of like prepaid kind of card. Um, to buy stuff from the vending machine. And they had this neat hack where they would unplug, they'd unplug the machine from the network, and then they would use a card that wasn't provisioned and then plug it back in, and that would allow them to get free snacks. Huh. And there was, like, uh, I guess a gang is one way to put it, of uh, CIA contractors that were doing this for, like, stealing thousands of dollars of, like, Snickers bars and chips. I'm kind of surprised that gets you fired. I mean, I understand they why. They caught them on camera. Right, but like it's the kind of thing to be like a stern warning, be like, "You idiots! Uh, like this is going in your file, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. It really depends on like, were they shaking people down? Well, no. So it was investigated by the um, what's it called? I guess that is poor ethics. The that o- is the kind of thing. Uh, there's an office of budget. There's a branch of the government that invests uh, contractors and government employees stealing from the government. Right, investigates. Uh, you mean? Yeah. Yes, yeah, it investigates. Anyways, they like. Yeah, this makes sense. This is the kind of thing where, like, if you're defrauding the candy fucking machine for a dollar, like, what else are you doing? Well, it's also like you can't steal from the government. Like, yeah, that makes the sense. The U.S. Uncle Sam does not like it when you put your hand in his pocket. Right, 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 right. Hmm, that's interesting. It's kind of like because I'm trying to think of my position. If like, if this is hard to con- imagine, really, because I've not had to manage a team, let alone in like a large company. But I like if I found my coworker had scammed like the. Uh, like the vending machine i would be like huh that's a funny hack i would personally not do that imagine if you gave uh your employee a company credit card right and then they were using that credit card like they were just like stealing money from the credit card yeah yeah that's that's bad that's straight up yeah that's it's unethical it's definitely unethical and it's stealing thousands of dollars from how do you even do that That's, that's dedication I imagined them as like really liking candy because <laughs> it, it, it happened over the course of months and it yeah. didn't seem like it's that many of them. So they must have been eating a lot. Right. 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 Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Maybe it's a really expensive vending machine. Who knows? Um, yeah, Aramark just has really crazy markups. Mm-hmm. 
Thanks for listening to the App Canary podcast. You can visit our website at podcast.appcanary.com. And my name is Max Faisman. And my name is Philip Mendoza-Fieda. This show has been produced and edited by Katie Jensen. You too can hire her by visiting katiemariejensen.com. If you liked our show, please rank us highly in iTunes. Take care.